You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. First of all, thank all, I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight to SF and SF here at the Variety Preview Room in San Francisco. Um, some of you may be new to the venue, so I just wanted to tell you a little bit that the charity is graciously hosting us for the evening for this event and also for our monthly science fiction film series. Variety is an international children's charity. We're the local San Francisco chapter and our, our uh, tent well, it kind of harkens back to vaudeville days, which is when Variety started. Runs from the border of California and Oregon all the way down to San Jose, so we have a lot of territory to cover. But what Variety does, our mission is dedicated to improving the lives of children around the world. We provide programs of last resort that help families gain access to medical care, related services that aren't covered by insurance providers, hospitals, government agencies, and community-based organizations. And a real simple example of that is a family that is just stretched already to their limit, can't uh, get $45 for a bus pass to go visit their child in the hospital, we'll just go get them the bus pass and hand it over to them. It's that simple for us. So we're very pleased to be part of um, the Variety family. Myself, I'm a board member for Variety, which is how this all kind of got hooked up together with um, Tachyon Publications. Um, kind of hosting the program and Terry Bisson and Borderlands Books and Rick Kleffel, everybody kind of joining together to make this happen for the community. And with that, I'd like to introduce Terry Bisson, our moderator for the evening. Cool. Hello. <laughs> um, thanks for coming out. Um, this is uh, SFNSF. It's our intention and our endeavor to build a forum for the science fiction community in the Bay Area, and uh, so far it seems to be going pretty well with the help of Tachyon and the Variety Theater and Rena and Jacob. Um, my name is Terry Bisson. I'm also a science fiction writer, and it's my pleasure to introduce our two readers tonight. The first is uh, actually a local guy, as we say, he's from what we call the bench, when we, we try to get people from out of town and then we match them up with somebody here. <laughs> and uh, Tim has actually read with us before. Tim is a, one of the, I would say, the new wave in SF, but he's been around for seven or eight years now and he's uh, been a Nebula nominee and he's been the um, Strange Horizons reader choice. He is also a poet. He's a. It was a Rizzling nominee at one Winter. point. Twice. Twice. Two okay. Winners. Ah. Okay. Yeah. How about that? He's. Uh, uh, he's also one of the few genre writers in the area to have made his way into the year's best short stories, for which we haven't yet forgiven him. <laughs> but. Um, uh, and with his collaborator and wife Heather Shaw, he does a small sort of. Um, sort of a rose um, a, um, circlet type of magazine, it's, wouldn't you it's say? It's in the family, yeah. Yeah, I would say it's in the family of um, of the sort of a new, what do you call that stuff now? It's called... Um, Cheap and photocopied is generally what we call it. <laughs> All right, okay. Anyway, he's, he's an editor of Flat, uh, one of the editors of Flat Trap. His first novel was about Santa Cruz. It was called The Strange Adventures of Ranger Girl. 
His new novel, Poison Sleep, is available outside. He's also um, a fellow Southerner. He's uh, studied with my cousin at uh, yep. in Boone. Studied folklore. Yeah, and um, and he also wrote a one of my favorite stories by Tim is one uh, called the the Impossible Dream, which is sort of an alternate history of Hollywood and film. And oddly enough, the only per- other person that sort of minds that particular vein is uh, Kessel does a lot of that, yeah, yeah. who's also a North Carolina writer. At any rate, uh, it gives me great pleasure, and I won't go on any longer, to introduce my colleague and friend, Tim Pratt. Thanks. Am I audible back there? Excellent. Uh, so I have a couple of fairly short stories I was going to read. I don't like to read novel excerpts because whenever I go to a reading and I read novel excerpts, I get resentful and I don't want to buy their book because I feel like I've been teased and manipulated into wanting to buy their book. So I'm going to read complete stories. Um, the first one is, uh, so my son was born about four months ago, my first kid. And uh, while I was in the hospital staying with my wife, we were there for, uh, for a few days, you know, I had this horrible little cot. I couldn't sleep. It was kind of awful. So just to pass the time in the middle of the night, I started writing a story about having a kid. This friend of mine had uh, told me about this Khalil Gibran poem, and there's a line in it that says, your children are not your children. It's sort of about how your kids, whatever you may want for them, they're going to grow up to be whoever they are. You know, you can, you can try and guide them, but you can't control what they're going to be. So I've been thinking about that and thinking about this tiny little two-day-old kid. My son's name is River, so I wrote a story called The River Boy. There once was a woman who wanted more than anything to have a child. She was old and had outlived her own sons and daughters and their sons and daughters too. And since her grandchildren had all been excessively taken with modern ideas and upstart temperance religions, there were no great-grandchildren. Her family name, which was very beautiful and meant those who dwell on the banks of the great river in an old forgotten language, was withered and almost gone, and she could not bear to be the last of her line. She knew many secrets and mysteries. That was how she'd achieved such a long life. A life that had seemed a boon when she was young, but was more and more now a misery. And so she made a plan. A few months before the snows were due, she left her cottage on the cliffside with its medicinal garden and curmudgeonly half-wild goats, and hiked two slow days through the woods. She fended off wolves with her walking stick and highwaymen with her glares, and by shaming them with the names of their mothers. One of her many powers was to know the name of everyone's mother, even yours, little one. Finally, she reached the bank of the river where her ancestors had been born, a mighty water so vast and long that for most of its length it had no need for a name other than the river, or sometimes the big river. She had in her youth traveled the river from source, a bubbling crack between two rocks in the mountains, to mouth, a fishing village that had grown into a vast port during the decades of her middle age. But this modest spot, a bend in the river with bare trees and browning long grass, was the particular place where she came from. So she made camp and dipped her toes in the muddy, placid, reedy water's edge, scaring frogs and prompting the slow process of alarm that passes for startlement in turtles. Oh, river, she said, you are all the family I have left. Your waters flow in my blood, and I'm sure the blood of my many relations runs diluted in you. I am too old to bear more children of my own, and stealing away bright children from unfit parents can have troublesome consequences. (laughs) Please, great river, if it be in your power, give me another child, and I will devote myself to him forever. She knelt on knees creaking from her long journey and drank the silty cold water of the river until her belly was cold and hard as a stone. Then she rolled over, wrapped herself in a cloak by the fire, and slept. 
When she woke, it was no longer autumn or even winter, but spring, and the sun shone down on her grassy bed surrounded by purple wildflowers, and a tiny baby boy dozed placidly on her chest. She sat up ravenous, but pulled the baby to her chest with old instincts, bearing her breasts. The baby nuzzled, clutched, and latched, sucking. The old woman was amazed she could produce milk at all, though she supposed that was no more miraculous than the fact of the babe himself. But when he dropped his head down, sated, she saw a trickle not of colostrum or milk, but of clear, cold water from her breast. She shivered, rose unsteadily to her feet, and looked at the wide, empty channel of cracked earth where the river had been. She looked down at her baby, and he opened his eyes. They were the rich, deep brown of river mud. Drought, she said firmly, scowling at the riverbed. A little rain will put it right, I'm sure. She looked at the baby, her expression softening, and whispered, you're mine. She began the long hike back to her cottage, baby clutched close. The old woman named her son River, and he grew quick as marsh reeds. His eyes were changeable, brown to blue and back again, and he loved it when she sang him all the songs of her youth and the songs learned in her many travels from delta to tributaries to alluvial plains. She sang him the songs boatmen sang and the songs dockloaders sang and fishermen songs, frog gigger songs, washerwoman songs. He drank the water from her breasts until he was old enough for goat's milk and later honey from her hives and vegetables from her garden. And he sang too, almost even before he could speak. The old woman felt dry places inside her blossom, felt fissures in her spirit heel every time the boy called her mother. And she never, ever thought about the land beyond her mountain cleft, and she never, ever ventured over the hills to the river valley beyond. When River was ten years old, he began to have nightmares. He would wake shouting, and the old woman would rush from her pallet to his hammock where he would twist, twist and gasp like a fish in a net. At first, he was simply inconsolable, but after three nights, he began to tell her about his dreams. I see boats tilted on dry sand, he said. I see women with cracked lips. I see strong men sitting, weeping on heaps of crates. I see lines and hooks twisted in tree limbs and an empty city and a dozen dead villages, and more and more and more. The old woman closed her eyes. It was possible, she knew, to grow as old as she had grown and yet still not become wise. But she was wise, even if she had let her knowledge guide her to troubling places. Tomorrow, she said, we'll take a journey and see what we see. River was excited, as boys will be, at the prospect of a trip. It was spring, so there were no hungry wolves, only songbirds and butterflies, and River whistled at the one and chased the other, all nightmares forgotten. After two days, they reached the spot where River had been born or gifted, and the flowers were dead, the trees dying, the bare riverbed, a stretch of misplaced desert. Ten-year drought, she said, and River yawned mightily. I'm so sleepy, he said. It was a long journey. Come, lay down here in this dry place. She led him to the center of the riverbed, and he followed, trusting as always. She returned to the bank and watched him settle to the ground, expecting a miracle in reverse. But he just slept, and she thought perhaps her own power was too strong that she doomed the land of her ancestors with her own one life's need. She wept then, and the tears rolled in clear, fresh rivulets down her cheeks, breaking into waves when they struck the dry earth, and in moments the riverbed was filled bank to bank with a welter of mother's tears, and her boy sank without a ripple. My son is drowned, she thought, and sat unmoving as night fell, seeing no need to rise from that spot ever again, knowing even her own long life would end in time if she did not eat or drink. The water lapped the bank in a long, slow rhythm, and frogs, already frogs, began a counterpointed croaking. And with a slow, dawning kind of awe, she realized the river and the frogs were, in a way, singing, an old song of consolation for men and women whose loved ones had died and been sent floating down the river, 
a song she had taught her son just that winter, one cold and windy night. When she wept again, the tears were salty, human tears of relief. Years passed and people came back to the river and fished and gigged frogs and sailed boats and washed clothes. Some of those people were so grateful for their new lives that they took a new name to go along with them, a name that means those who dwell on the banks of the great river in a fine old language. That's what our name means and where it comes from, little one. Some say that old woman made a raft and sailed up and down the length of her son the river, singing to him and hearing songs in return, as proud of him as any mother could ever be of her son, as proud as I will be of you someday, I think. Some say that old woman still sails to this day, and when the water birds and frogs make music, it is the river singing his mother a lullaby he learned long ago at her breast. Close your eyes, little one. Listen to the river. Listen to him sing. Oh, man, that chokes me up. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.